Hello and welcome to Spooks. That's Spooks with a B and not with a P because that would just be unhygienic. My guest today is uh, an Edinburgh-based author who proved her prescience uh, two or three years ago by kicking off a series which detailed the aftermath of a virus. Does that sound familiar to us all? Leslie Kelly, how are you? I'm good, how are you? And you can hear me okay? Yeah, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. This is how all <laughs> my conversations for the past two weeks have started. <laughs> I think all of us as well. And, and here, here on Spooks, we always have, have technical difficulties. In fact, uh, the chief executive, as, as Denzel Myrick now likes to be called, um, often comments on me saying, have we sorted the technical difficulties? Uh, because we have, if you listen to the, the uh, back library, we have uh, varying uh, qualities of sound. <laughs> so, I'm, I'm sure we'll do yeah. something else wrong today. <laughs> oh, I'm very certain we'll do something else wrong. I'll, I'll hit the wrong button and the thing wouldn't have recorded and we wouldn't do it all again, something like that. <laughs> so... Your first book um, was uh, a, a Fine House in Trinity. Now that 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 was a standalone, wasn't it? Yeah, that that was my first semi-autobiographical novel written by looking out the window around the area that I lived in and the area where all my family grew up in Leith, and then just putting a novel together about that. <laughs> okay, so semi-autobiographical. Let, let me just see. A Fine House in Trinity is a Leith set contemporary crime novel about an alcoholic. Yeah. Personal hygiene. Yes. Gains an inheritance and worth a wee bob or two. Um, <laughs> only, only to find that someone is pre to prepared to kill him for it. All oh, right, okay, it falls yes. down there. To survive, he must sober up. <laughs> I, I know you've not actually managed that yet. Solve a murder. <laughs> and stay one step ahead of the man who wants him dead. And it was long-listed for the McIlvany Prize in 2016. Yes, yes. Yeah. So how did so that came about because you were sitting in your window um, looking out, and this was pre-virus, of course, so you were ahead of the trend then. I was, and, I was. Uh, Back when I wasn't <laughs> writing science fiction that came true, yeah. <laughs> so how did that storyline come about apart from well, the... the, the... Um, I wrote a short story actually for um, the the Scotsman's short story competition, and it uh, was the year that I think Rebus had turned twenty five, or yeah, it must have been twenty five, so a few years ago now. Uh, and the theme of the the competition that year was crime, and I thought oh, I can write a crime story, so I wrote a crime story about an alcoholic and, and uh, minor criminal in Leith, and then for. Um, uh, found that I really, really liked the character and that I wanted to do a bit more with it. And um, I, at the same time, I, I was doing stand-up comedy, so I thought, oh, I, I could write something funny. I could write a funny novel. So I decided to turn these characters into um, a kind of comic novel uh, about the alcoholic. And sort of looking out my window, I mean, Trinity's a very, very nice area of Edinburgh and it's full of um, big old houses, all of which have a history of their own, have kind of hidden rooms in them and allegedly have tunnels down to the sea and things like that. So I thought, oh, for a crime writer, that'd be a fantastic setting for, for a novel. So kind of bringing all those things together, um, that was a fine house in Trinity. I mean, I'll be honest, until the book came out, I didn't even know there was an area in Edinburgh called Trinity. And when I saw this, I didn't know you at the time. <laughs> um, I uh, I thought it was set in Oxford. 
Because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, head is full of morse. But, it, you know, tw the 25th anniversary of, of Rebus, which is I think is quite amazing um, because um, Mr. Rankin was only 35 at that time. So uh, it's, it's quite, quite an achievement well. for him. <laughs> yes, he is quite an achievement for him. So, uh, so that that was a fine house in Trinity. And how did you feel when you heard you were longlisted for the McIlvany? Well, I was such a, a novice at that point. I think I said uh, to Sansel Press, "What's the McIlvany Award?" Um, and then found out, "Oh yeah, that's pretty good then. That I've been shortlisted, uh, longlisted for that." Uh, so yeah, sometimes it's better when you don't know these things. Now now I know it exists and you can work out whether you're on it or not. I've never been back on it. So uh, yeah, it, it was nice then. Ignorance was bliss. Of course, I think that was the first year of the McIlvany because prior to that, it was just the Scottish Crime Book of the Year or something like that. And then I think in 2016. So so the reason why you wouldn't have known about it because it was it was completely new then, the, the William McIlvany Prize ah, for the right. best Scottish Crime. Excuse for my ignorance. Yes, yes. Uh, so after that, um, you moved on to your series. And as, as I said in my short intro, this, this yeah. is where you proved the incredible pressure. How did you come up with this idea? What, what made you want to write that back in, what was it, 2017 would that be? Uh, uh, yeah, 2017, I think the first one came out. Um, well, in my job at work, I work for a kind of umbrella organisation for all the uh, charities and voluntary organisations in Midlothian, which is just south of Edinburgh. They provide, they provide umbrellas to these charities, do they? Is that, is that, what that, that That's the basic idea of what we do. Um, PPE would probably be better in the current moment, but... Um, <laughs> No, we, we um, so we represent all the charities and we spend a lot of time sitting on various emergency planning committees with the council and the police and the NHS. So whenever you get these kind of stories about pandemics where the, the, the whole of humanity is wiped out and, and you know, the first sort of, um, well, usually it's the movie, isn't it? The, the first 10 minutes in the movie. Um, I always kind of think, well, actually, no, it, it wouldn't happen like that. that. That's not what would happen in a pandemic. And anyway, we spend all this time planning for them. So um, I was quite interested in the idea of writing something around the bureaucracy uh, of, of a pandemic and also thinking about, well, what new crimes would you get when you've suddenly got this very, very vulnerable population? And I thought, well, if I write something about a pandemic, I want to write about, uh, you know, I want to have some specific kind of science underpinning that. So I used the, um, uh, the Spanish flu as the, the basis for the virus in, in my novel. And there's a couple of major differences between my novel, which is absolutely spot on in every single other way, just about, um, <laughs> is that my, my novel sort of picks up about six months after the, the worst of the, the yeah. pandemic has happened. So we really need to judge it in about five months time. Um, but the other big difference was with Spanish flu, um, different from this uh, most of the people that actually died from it were were young and fit and healthy because the way that people responded to to the spanish uh, flu strain was that it overstimulated their immune system to such an extent that it killed them so you were more likely to die if you had a, a young fit healthy immune system so you in my novels you'd have all the panic that we have nowadays plus you'd have like parents extremely kind of worried about the the um the health of their children and you'd have teenagers who tend to think they're immortal, actually putting themselves in all kind of danger, which is the starting point for the first novel in the series. Yeah. I mean, when, so when you did them, when you started this, did, did you 
could you have even believed that we would be in this position three, four years down the line? Um, no, it, it didn't really occur to me that we would have something. Um, uh, and every, I think it seems everybody else, every few years there's a panic about a pandemic going to hit us, isn't there? You know, we've had SARS and avian flu. And every time something like that happens, there was kind of a bit of a, oh, right, well, this would, this would be good for book sales, you know, a bit of a pandemic. And now it's actually here. I think the, the, the bits that I didn't put enough emphasis on the book is the kind of emotional side of it and how everybody actually feels. Um, because, you know, you can see that even on Twitter, you know, not only do people not want to read books about pandemics, people don't actually want to read as well. There's lots of people saying, oh, you know, I'm just too upset. I can't concentrate and things. So... Um, yeah, I didn't predict that at all. Yeah, yeah. What what else did you did you get get wrong? I'm going to say wrong because there's no way you could get it wrong. But what what else is is different from your uh, version of the pandemic to to what we're experiencing now? Well, the major difference is, of course, the toilet roll thing. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't predict, and I don't think any of my emergency planning colleagues predicted that the first thing that would happen is that everybody would rush out and buy toilet roll for a respiratory illness. Yeah, um, what is that about? <laughs> I, I still don't quite get that. Um, I, ironically, the book, um, I, I had a synopsis written for the, the next instalment, so they haven't actually been writing that, uh, and that was going to be about food shortages, so kind of got that bit right, but uh, that was much more influenced by Brexit, to be honest, and thinking that that might cause food shortages as we didn't have enough people to pick fruit and things. Um, this is a completely different reason for not having enough people to, to pick fruit. Um, what else did I get wrong? Um, possibly the emotional side of things. Also, I think people have been better behaved than I expected they would be. Um, there hasn't been as much widespread flouting of government instructions to stay at home as I thought there would be. Uh, right about the crime, right about the hoarding. Um, yeah, I can't think of anything to else. Be, to be fair to you, your your first book is set six months after the you know the worst of the pandemic, as it, as it were. So you know, in, in your world, the toilet rolls shortage would would be over. Yeah, it's also a little bit vague, and I, I can kind of play this either way now. I think because I didn't refer at all to things like the the schools being closed. Um, and doing a bit of reading around about that and in Spanish flu, there was quite a variety of whether people did close the schools or didn't. Um, although in the, the book that's just about to come out in April, the schools are closed, but that's for a different reason. That's because somebody's wandering around trying to shoot civil servants and nobody's quite sure if school teachers come under the definition of civil servants. <laughs> dear, oh dear. So that's <laughs> The Health of Strangers was the first book. We'll come on to the, the, the new one in a moment. The next one... Um, was Songs by Dead Girls, yep. which, which is a great title. Uh, I know. And, Didn't really fit the book, the but it was I, too good a title not to use. <laughs> I, I, yeah, was that the book that I met you over for the first time? Um, yeah, I think it was. That was the second one, yeah. yeah. The difficult yeah. second we album. Did, we did meet for the Michael Vanny thing because, you know, I was long listed the same year as you. Yeah. Uh, so we had met then. But then, you know, for Songs by Dead Girls, we met. And... Um, so that 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 moves between Edinburgh and London, doesn't it? So yeah, it was just an excuse to go down to London, really, with the kids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then the third one was called what? Death at the Plague Museum. Right now, tell me about the Plague Museum. Does that exist? 
only in my head and on my website, but it should exist, really, shouldn't it? It'd be a fantastic thing, and Edinburgh is definitely the place to have it. Um, but no, I, I, it, the building that the Plague Museum set in is real, and it's actually um, on York Place in Edinburgh, and I think it's now a boutique hotel, but I remember it as being the um, Lothian and Borders Police Club. And my dad was in the police and got fond memories of me and my brother going along there to their, um, they had a Christmas party every year for police children. So you'd go into this building and it's one of Edinburgh's old kind of Georgian buildings and you walk in and it's got this massive um, iron stairwell that goes up about three flights. Um, and I thought, probably not at the time, but as an adult, I thought oh, that'd be a brilliant place to kill somebody, just have them fall off the top of that. So uh, in the novel, that's how it starts. Uh, they've got CCTV footage of somebody falling from the top floor of that and landing on a plastic model of the H1N1 flu virus. Um, and uh, they, they don't quite know why. They don't know if he's killed himself or if he's fallen or whatever. And that's the start. Right. And as you said, uh, on your website, you talk about the you know some other museums in Edinburgh that that kind of uh, impact on that book. Do you want to t talk about some of the some of these ones? I see you've got. Uh, uh, yeah, well, I did need chapter to, by chapter. Yeah, each chapter is named after an exhibit in the the museum. So we've got chickens in there, obviously, um, and um, gorillas. Both of them quite quite often responsible for starting off these viruses. Uh, we had a pocket full of posies as well, um, which so we had some pot plants uh, that um, and when I did my, my launch, we also had that sort of a plague doctor um, because the idea, I don't know if you've seen the plague doctor masks that you can get, they, they're kind yes. of sort of leather things and they have a huge long nose on them. And the idea was that you, you packed that during the plague times, you packed the nose of it full of herbs and that was supposed to give you some... Um, some protection from the plague. So the pocket full of posies um, idea is that that you know you, you carried these around with you and and they somehow protected you from the the, the plague. But uh, yeah, so with the the plague doctor, um, which is quite an interesting kind of mask thing, and obviously it appears in various sort of stage shows. But as part of my research for that, uh, when I was googling it, I found out you can get your own plague doctor mask made to to order. And I kind of wonder what sort of person orders up their own plague doctor mask. I mean, my excuse is that I wrote a novel about it, but I think I might be getting deep into territory that I don't really understand. Well, I mean, I could explain to you, but, you know, I, I really don't want to get into what I got up to on a Saturday night. So... <laughs> well, if you need so... an introduction to a website that might... Uh... <laughs> <laughs> but I also see on, on your website uh, for the museums as you've got songs about museums. <laughs> yeah, no, like, God, don't test like me on what these are now, but there's more of them than you might think. Yeah, C can you give me any examples at all? Uh, Rufus Wainwright, he did a song called The Art Teacher that, that set um, uh, in... Oh, I can't remember one of the American ones. There, there's several about the Smithsonian um, and the Guggenheim. Uh, uh, there were several rap songs about them. So I think they must just scan quite well and rap. Um, uh, da, 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 the British Museum. Uh, I think A Foggy Day in London Town has mentions the, the British oh, Museum. Nice. 
uh, and his Pet Shop Boys as well, song about British Museum. Uh, but what was noticeable by their absence is there's not a single Scottish museum, as far as I could work out, immortalised uh, in song. Right. Right, songwriters, any songwriters listening, let's get on that. We're it's letting the side down. Let's get some sort of song about the Kelvin Grove Art Gallery and Museum. Yeah. Um, must be some way that you could fit that into a song. <laughs> <laughs> a challenge for that, yeah. for that one. What yeah. Kelvin? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that was the, um, quick, where were we? That was uh, the second book. And, no, sorry, the third, third book, third book, and your the fourth one is coming out later this month, and that was called again. Um, murdered at the Music Factory. Right. So I've made a playlist for this one as well. So yeah, more songs. Yeah, maybe you've got suggestions for me because um, this one features um, a progressive rock artist, a fading progressive rock artist. So have you got any prog rock favourites? Um, no, I'm I'm a film music man. I remember you asked me for a suggestion for, <laughs> when we were doing songs by Dead Girls. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, that that was yeah. Female celebrities are no longer with us. What did you come up uh, with? The Carpenters, I think it was. Oh yeah, was, yeah. Carpenter, you were very surprised. Yes, yeah, yeah, I'd have to say I was as... a prog rock before being a Carpenters fan if I had to predict yeah. your musical tastes. There we are, you see. People just can't read me. No. Nope. Uh... Hello. I'm still here. Yep, sorry, it just went dead there. I told you it would happen. Um, <laughs> so there we are. Anyway, the new book, tell us about that. Uh, well... It's, 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 a, it's a, a fading prog rock singer You've got yep. a playlist for that as well. There will be. Um, it's the, the worst prog rock band in the world, so um, that'll be quite interesting. <laughs> I'm sure there are some fairly good examples of really bad prog rock music that I can yes, tap I into. Say, that's, that's quite hard going to say that it's the worst prog rock band in the world. <laughs> Yeah, there, yeah. There, there was a band called Egg that I had kind of in my mind when I was thinking about this that were quite experimental. But uh, but anyway, the book, uh, it um, starts off with uh, the, the MSPs are all about to get blown up in, uh, or there's been a threat to, to blow all of them up in the um, in situ in the Scottish Parliament. And the person that's made the threat is somebody who has a Secret Service background. So they're a bit of a loss as to what to do, how you get the MSPs out safely. Um, and the kind of uh, the, the person that's made that threat, to the MSPs, then goes on to, to leave a, a message on the health enforcement team, the, the, the heroes of the, the books, a threat on their website that he's going to shoot one, uh, one civil servant per day until his demands are met which immediately leads on to discussion about what constitutes a civil servant. You know, right. is it the people that just work in Victoria Quay or is it is it street sweepers, is it, you know, teachers? Yeah, so, it could be, yeah, it could be a wide-ranging um, Deadpool there. Yes, uh, so ironically, they all get sent home and are under lockdown. <laughs> so... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so not not the virus, you know, they could go to work and risk their lives with that, but but somebody threatening to shoot them was was just too much, and they all got sent home. School uh, shut I, up. Just, just, 
just a wee editor's note here. Um, Dr. Leslie Kelly's uh, views on the band Egg uh, are hers <laughs> alone, and they are not shared by anyone connected to Spooks, just in case. <laughs> listening. Um, well, so it's the kind of thing that would get you trolled, isn't it? People have a strong opinion about yes, progressive rock. Yes, yes, you know, you're treading in very thin ice there. I'm sure they were very, very good. <clears throat> so, yeah, I'm sure they are. What it's... sort of research did you have to do for this series? Uh, and there was a lot of research for the the first one about um, viruses and things. But then the good thing after that is because it's um, a completely made up agency, the health enforcement team, uh, it's not a police procedural or that, I could just really make it up as I went along. Although you did get quite quickly into, you know, when people start getting murdered, it's, it's a bit much to think that the health enforcement team, who are really a fairly, you know, fringe bit of the the, the health of the law enforcement would actually deal with that. So you had to have a, some kind of idea of what, what the actual detectives would do. Um, but yeah, that that is a good thing about writing something that's completely made up. Not quite yeah. as not as many people can like write in and say actually you got it all wrong. That's not how the health enforcement team works, because they're my health yeah. enforcement yeah. team. Because, yes, uh, that's right. So you can make them do whatever you like. But I mean, earlier on, you 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 kind of described it as science fiction. So do you see it as science fictiony, or well, do you see it as crime? Not or? anymore, really. It's, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's topical now. <laughs> well, yeah, and I do find that I'm, I'm a bit stuck, really. I can just imagine sitting down to write the next one in the series because we leave it at quite a sort of, you know, pivotal point and just thinking, you know, total writer's block because everybody's now an armchair expert on how pandemics work. It was all very well when I was just making it all up and, and using my kind of knowledge that I had from work about what would probably happen in the situations. Um, now, any given scenario that I come up with probably has been dealt with and, um, and and everybody knows. So I don't know if that makes it less interesting for readers or are people more interested in that kind of stuff now than they were? Oops. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, that's that's a good point. I wonder, I mean, what, what do you think? Um, do you think this will, you know, people will be, see, I know you said earlier that they don't want to, to read stuff about pandemics, but I have seen uh, material on, on Twitter and Facebook saying that they do. Uh, so I think yeah. it's, it's kind of split. Um, so let's well, hope sales that they of, do. Um, the, the plague by Camus have gone through the roof, you know, that, that's gone yeah. up and everywhere I look, um, Station Eleven, which is a brilliant book, people seem to be reading that. So it's the next logical step is that they get themselves yeah. some Leslie Kelly in their Kindles and read that. Yeah, but, but you know, just to be clear, yours is about the months and years after the pandemic and the, the, the impact that it's had on society and what, you know, the authorities in this case, your health enforcement team have to do uh, in order to keep a lid on things. It's not actually set, you know, a la Peter May in lockdown um, nope, during nope. uh, pandemic. So, and it's very uh, much, um, the, the particular health enforcement team is the North Edinburgh one, and they, um, due to their proximity to the parliament, they end up getting all the cases that are to do with um, sex, religion and politics. So it is about all the, um, the, the, there's quite a lot of evil politicians in it making a name for themselves on the back of um, pandemic policy. So obviously a work of fiction. Uh, oh yes, there's, this, there's the science fiction coming in because we <laughs> never, never get politicians. Uh, They're much more noble in real life the than they are in of my book. Of course they are. 
Of yeah, I didn't course, have any yeah. of them actually getting ill from the virus, which was another. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But of course, they're, 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 you know, they're, they're noble. Um, speaking of stuff like that, you did some stand-up comedy. I did. As, as well. <laughs> yes. So what was that? How was it? Or you know, what was, How did that come about? What were you doing? Well, um, years and years ago, uh, I worked for an organisation called University Scotland, another of these umbrella bodies uh, that represents all universities. Um, and I had a colleague there who did stand-up comedy, and it never until that point occurred to me that you could just go and do stand-up. And I, I always really loved stand-up. And then I started thinking, well, you know, he's done it, and all he did was go along the stand in Edinburgh and say, I quite fancy doing this. Can I have a, a, a five-minute slot? And that, that's all you have to do. And then it took me about another three or four years to actually get around to doing anything about it. And it was getting to a point where there was so much moral cowardice going on that it was worse living with the knowledge that I could be doing this and not doing it than actually just going and doing it. And then during the Leith Festival, um, the, the, the stand did this thing, come along, be a stand-up comedian, we'll give you a bit of training. And then it kind of ends with you doing your, your five-minute slot at the end of that, at which point there was absolutely no excuse for not doing it. And... Um, the worst part of the whole process was the initial phone call, phoning up and saying that I wanted to do it. Nothing else was as scary as that after it. Um, and it was brilliant. I really, really loved it. would like to go back to it one day, um, but not at the moment. <laughs> but of course, you've reached the pinnacle of your stand-up career um, <sighs> last, late last year, didn't you? In yeah, fact, this you, empresario came along and said, how about, <laughs> how about putting the show back on the roads? As all these films start, you know, gets the team back together. And I said, oh, well, I'll force myself. Who, who was that? Reminds me. Oh, a fine chap, a fine chap. And, of course, you, you took part in a very, a very dramatic production. Yes, um, absolutely. Top quality. Yes. Shakespeare, yes. I think We're it was. Oh, yes, almost Shakespearean. Yes. Um, and in its quality. People with, were with always no mildred, but, you know. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> no we better explain. Uh, this was the uh, the Wee Crime Festival in Granton and Spey last week, last week, last year. And um, Leslie was appearing, as was I. And on the Friday night of the festival, we, we always have some sort of show. Generally, um, we, we do a carry-on sleuthing. But because Carol Ramsey couldn't or, or wouldn't, uh, appear last year we decided not to do it so we put together uh, just a, basically a sketch show and Leslie took part and very kindly did uh, a, a, a superb stand-up routine which went down incredibly well and also allowed herself to be subjected to appearing in sketches uh, <laughs> that I had written uh, and also the the uh, the climax of the show was a Sherlock Holmes parody, and uh, I managed to um, sucker Leslie into taking a part in that <laughs> as well. We left them begging uh, for less. <laughs> we did, yes, we did. Uh, but it all went down very well, as it always does in Granton, because they're a great crowd up there, um, and uh, they're very appreciative. Thankfully, because some of the stuff that I give them is is pretty weak indeed, but <laughs> they they're in the spirit of it. So, so you'd like to get back to so you'd like to do some more uh, stand up, etc. Yeah, I'd like to be the kind of old sweaty granny that goes back and does it. I think there there's not enough of that going on. Yeah, and you're not tempted yourself, Douglas. I mean, it's not not a huge leap from what you do already. 
I the thought of standing, although I did it, um, and, and I do it at the beginning of uh, Carry On Sleuthing, and I, I did a wee bit at the the beginning of the the Granton show. The very thought of standing there on my own uh, <laughs> with material terrifies me. Absolutely terrifies me. I did it in Granton because I know that the I know it's a great crowd. Um, and I'd also had a couple of whiskeys ahead of time <laughs> <laughs> to calm me down because I was also singing during that show, which is something I'd never <laughs> before. If if singing is the correct word for what I did, uh, so no, I'd, I I don't think that I actually have the moral courage to to, <laughs> to be honest. It, it is the thing about stand up is that you know stand up comedians do the same act night after night. Uh, you know you try and make it look as if you're ad libbing, but you're not. Um, and you can do the same thing to two different audiences, and they react so differently that you know one night they can think you're hilarious, and the next night it can be tumbleweeds. And yeah, that is terrifying. <laughs> It is. So you've got the book coming out uh, end of April, yep. published by Sandstone Press. Yep. Um, how do you do launch you a book about a pandemic in the middle of yeah, a pandemic? I was going to ask that. So how how are you going to launch it? Are you doing the these virtual launches? Uh, yeah, I think Keris, it's out on the 23rd and I think Keris is doing her best to schedule something in for every minute of that day. Um, but I did look back at what, what we did last time um, uh, at the Death of the Plague Museum and she did me lots of bookmarks and looking at the bookmarks are just so inappropriate now because uh, on the, the back side of one of them it's got um, the pandemic is spreading, don't get sick. I'm kind of thinking that's not really the kind of stuff I want to be waving around now. Um, so it's going to be quite low key, I think. We're going to try and do stuff on Twitter without offending everybody um, that, that this is about a pandemic. Because the novels are supposed to be funny as well. And I'm not sure that people are, are ready to be darkly comic quite yet about the pandemic. So um, Yeah, I didn't mention that. There is a lot of humour in, in, in the books. Um, which which is good, which is a good I, I love to see humour in books. I, I don't like it when books are totally serious. Um, so yeah, I mean they're they're worth it for that alone, but they're also damn good reads. I've I've got to say, and so is the is it is it available for pre order now? Yes, yes, uh, on that big website uh, and at any bookshops that are still posting out at this time. Yep, yes, a lot a lot of the indies are still doing that. I think uh, branches of Watersons are still doing that as well. Yep. Uh, what about direct from the publisher? Can people order it direct from the publishers? Do you know? Oh, now that's a very good question. There have been some cryptic remarks from Sandstone Press about that, and I think they might be gearing up so that you can do that. Well, um, uh, books listeners, keep your, your eyes on the Sandstone Press website. Uh, just do that anyway, because it is fab. Yeah, do but, that anyway, yeah. Um, and uh, so what about after this one? Do you have it? I mean, the, your first book was a standalone. So yep. if you get any, would you like to do any more standalones? Is there anything else that you'd like to do? Well, I'm, the one that I'm writing at the moment is a standalone because I decided that I wanted a wee break from um, the Health of Strangers series, um, which I don't know if that was good or bad. I think, yeah, it would have been incredibly difficult to be writing a book about a pandemic at the moment as policy is changing day by day. Um, but obviously I'm now with some kind of prophet in that what I write comes true. And the next book is about extreme weather conditions in the north of Scotland. So, And they don't have extreme weather conditions up in the north of Scotland at all. So, Well, they will have when this book's published and it all comes true. 
<laughs> and is it uh, a thriller? Is again? Yeah, yeah, another it, crime novel. Actually, with, with police, police in it this time. Well, hopefully, humour in it, and police procedural type stuff that I probably needs quite a lot of fact checking before I send it out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So apart from that, is there anything else? Is, is there anything you would like to write that that isn't? Crime. Would you like to do a straight comic novel, perhaps? I, I would. The, the other kind of things that I like reading are sort of urban fantasy type stuff. The you know the Ben Aronovich stuff, which has kind of magic and and that. And I did like things like Terry Pratchett as well, which uh, I think is really funny because it's really like real life that he's talking about and satirising and and some kind of fantasy world. Uh, I, I fancy writing something like that, but. Uh, I, Sorry, on you go. I was going to say that trying to write one novel a year is more than enough to keep me going. Yeah, because I was going to ask you that. How do you juggle the work life and the writing life? And, of well, course, you've got a family. I do, I do. I've got two boys um, who I'm... Who have been very well behaved during this. You told me that they would probably uh, interrupt, but no, that they, they haven't. They, they have been very good. I got some tech support from the bigger one um, to, to actually get this set up. But uh, yeah, of course, we're now homeschooling them as well. And I'm sharing a desk, an actual literal desk with my younger son, who asked me to spell about every second word. So you can guess what he's working on. And like last week, it was disciples, betrayal and deny. So he's either working on the Easter story or some really, really dark bit of tart noir. Or something about Downing Street. Uh, Downing Street, yeah, it could be, could be political. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a political line which I should not have made. But still, <laughs> it's just uh, a is joke. Is this a non-partisan? Uh, yes, it is. Please don't tweet. It was only a joke. <laughs> um, so uh, so you, you're doing all... So how do you juggle all of that? How do you keep it going? Uh, I think writing keeps me sane, really, and and I'm quite lucky in that I can write anywhere. I don't need any particular, you know, place or set time or anything like that. I just write round the corners of everything else that's happening. But um, yeah, it's, I, I can write actually writing first drafts and that you can write anywhere. But the most difficult bit is getting headspace. You know, when you've got your first draft and you're trying to work out if it all makes logical order or if there's a huge plot gap or that. But um, but I am a planner of things. I do like a little <sighs> spreadsheet with what's happening when. I know this is not a view that's widely shared, but I, I like to know where I'm going. <laughs> it's it's wider than you know actually I, i'm not as, as you know i'm not um but I, I there are a lot of people who do plan and it's i've often said i wish i could plan because i think it might make it easier for me if i did but there's just something in my brain that shuts down at the very thought of of actually being organized uh, as, as anybody as anybody who's been to my house knows um so do, do you actually enjoy writing i do i do um I'm not trying to make a living out of it, so I, I just wouldn't do it if I didn't enjoy it. Um, yeah, I find it, yeah. Somebody, there was some quote about, you know, um, I'm, writing is the only thing that I do that makes me feel like I shouldn't be doing something else, uh, which kind of, like, sums it up. You know, I'm always trying to, oh, like, I better get kids sorted out so I can do some writing. I better get like, the housework done so I can do some writing. And then you actually sit down and you're doing the writing. You think, yeah, this is what it's all about. Yeah. So, so you 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 actually enjoy. I hate it. Um, 
the, the actual thought, the, you know, the actual act of writing. Dorothy Parker once said, "I don't like writing; I like having written," um, and that that resonated. That resonated with me. Yeah, um, that's my attitude but, to exercise, but <laughs> but not writing. <laughs> yes, I don't. I don't do that either. <laughs> so that's great. Um, thank you very much, Leslie, for coming along and and uh, talking about your books. And I, I I have to recommend the books. I have to because Leslie told me I did. Uh, <laughs> they, they are very good. And um, if if you're looking for something to read, don't be put off by the pandemic uh, thing at all. That uh, they they are really really good stories. They are thrillers. They are funny. Uh, they're they're filled with great characters and they are well worth a read. So, Leslie, thanks very much for for giving some time today to no, thanks talk for the to invite. And uh, so that's it, folks. That's this edition of Books. Denzel and I really do need to try and get together uh, to do another one at some point between him and I. We haven't done one. We've we've both been away uh, talking to to different people in order to bring you a wide variety of authors to the podcast and we're going to continue working on that. I've, I've got a few lined up, hopefully, for the future. Uh, so that's it. Again, thanks very much, Leslie. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to Spooks, in which Douglas Skelton was in conversation with Leslie Kelly. Spooks is a Houses of Steel production.